It's time to go into business for yourself. Get ready for another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. Education, insights, and inspiration. Here's your host, small business and franchise expert, Tom Skarda. And hello, welcome to another episode of the Franchise Academy. And we are uh, excited about helping you figure out what is next in your life. We're all about franchising, helping people control their own destiny through owning their own business. And so we are here to kind of answer your questions and also help you understand the pros and the cons of franchising because it's not for everyone. I am helping people myself on a daily basis and been doing it for 14 years. Just figure out what's right for them. We do it across the country and have a book out there called Franchise Savvy. And I'm uh, blessed enough to say that it's the number one bestseller on Amazon. And and that's in the book section, the business book section. So uh, today we have a guest who could probably write 10 books on franchising. And has probably forgotten more than I'll ever know about franchising. Just a great, great guest. And his name is Gary Ochogrosso. Occhio Grosso is the best way to say it in Italian. Occhio Grosso is uh, someone who's been in franchising many, many, many years. He started as a franchisee of Dunkin' Donuts, a little-known Dunkin' uh, Donut franchise in America. And also, you know, Ranch One, which was one of my favorite things back in the day. And he was selected as top 25 fast casual restaurant executives in the United States by Fast Casual Magazine, which is huge. He's also an adjunct professor at NYU and just has numerous articles out there. So definitely look up Gary Okio Grosso. So we will uh, talk with him now and kind of get the inside scoop of what's going on out there in franchising from his perspective. So, Gary, are you there? I am here, and I uh, I'm very excited to be here. And thank you for that great introduction. I have to repeat that for my wife, so she gets it too. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. That's great. Yeah, then she probably knows little of what you do day in and day out, helping uh, people. She's not quite sure. She she sees it. She's lived with it for the last thirty five years, but uh, she's not really quite sure how it all happens. Yeah, I know the feeling. My wife says the same thing. Well, that's, you know, that's one of the things that, that's always intrigued me in the, in the franchising industry, and that is how people who are not part of the business see it as uh, either a mystery, there's some mystique, they don't really understand how it works. And then you've got another group of people who have a whole group of assumptions of how it works. Yep. And on neither end of the spectrum are, are those people generally correct. So, you know, as you pointed out earlier, franchising is a is a unique business model that, that you know, we know because we've lived it for so many years. I, I often tell people I happen to believe it's the uh, most powerful business development tool ever created in our country. And the reason I say that is because it allows regular folks to go into business and become part of you know, the entrepreneurial scene, you know, the living the American dream, so to speak, of, yeah. of, of, of self, you know, self-destination by owning a business. Yeah, amen to that. And, and, you know, I'm a product of that. I was a New York City subway conductor before I got into franchising. Yeah. So I'm a government guy back in the day with no 
business experience, no sales experience, no real education and no real money to speak of. You know, my dad was a cop, you know, so I was going down that civil service road. And then after, you know, studying a lot and going to seminars, I realized, you know, a franchise is a business with training wheels. And that's what I needed. I wanted to be an entrepreneur so bad, didn't know where to start and realized franchising is the perfect place to start. And it's changed my life so greatly in so many positive ways. You know, that's why I like to share all about it now and and have people like you. And I would have never met somebody like you who has done fantastic things in your life. So right now, Gary, you're the managing partner of Franchise Growth Solutions, which is a franchise development and sales firm. So tell us a little bit about Franchise Growth Solutions. What What do you guys do? Well, I started the firm uh, almost three years ago now. Just prior to that, I was the president of a company called True Foods, where we uh, we ran over 100 different locations, franchise locations. Uh, we were a multi-brand franchisor. And quite honestly, I, you know, I just decided trading my time for money wasn't what I was into doing anymore. And I had been essentially teaching people how not to trade their time for money mm-hmm. and got tired of the commute into New York City and launched Franchise Growth Solutions. So essentially what I've done is I've taken 35 years worth of my experiences, good, bad, and otherwise, mm-hmm. as being a franchisee of Dunkin' Donuts, a franchisor, a consultant, a teacher, uh, my Rolodex. And for those of you who are under 40, a Rolodex you would probably call a contact list today uh, <laughs> of of folks who are in various franchise disciplines, everything from attorneys to people who build restaurants or retail stores, folks who write manuals, uh, sales individuals, folks who finance businesses, and put together a cooperative, which is what Franchise Growth Solutions actually is. And that cooperative, the mission of my cooperative is to help startup and emerging franchisors. And the reason this exists is because as an emerging franchisor once myself, I came to learn that many franchisors, typically founders of a business, are really good at what they do. Let's say they're in the cell phone business or they're in the gym business or they're in the food business. And they're really, really good at operating those businesses to the point where they've created something unique that now the rest of the world wants and they want to share it with the rest of the world. However, and it's a big however, while they may be really good at understanding the work of their particular business, once they become or want to become a franchised company or a franchisor, being, once they step into that role of being a franchisor, that's an entirely different business. Now, they're no longer you know, the, the person running a restaurant. Now, they need to be the CEO running a restaurant franchise. Mm-hmm. In the same way, when you run a retail business, you need a cashier and maybe you need someone to do prep work or someone to stock shelves. When you run a franchise company, you need someone to support the franchisee's with real estate, with construction and design, marketing. You need to have a legal piece involved, a legal team, because you need a a, a selling document called a franchise disclosure document. So you need to have people who understand how to properly sell or rather recruit people in 
to the franchise system. So all those disciplines require people and money. Mm-hmm. And most emerging brands and most franchisors, number one, don't understand all those pieces to the puzzle. So we help them with that. And in many cases, when they're first launching, not only do they not need, say, a director of real estate full-time or a director of operations full-time, but yet they need someone to do that function. So in the Franchise Growth Solutions Cooperative, we put consultants in front of those franchisors that they can pick and choose to work with at will at a much lower cost and yet still deliver on their promise to their franchisees even though as a franchisor they're just getting started yeah amazing and then i think that's true you know all these franchisors that start you know most people don't realize that most franchisors don't get past five franchisees Mm -hmm. and it's because they don't know how and they don't reach out to people that could actually help them such as you (laughs) and it's taking a step back to take 10 steps forward if you do it the right way with with the right, you know, growth or development company. And that's, you know, as I talk to new people thinking about franchising, I, I often share with them that, you know, you might love something, but if the corporation may not be run properly, you know, you need to stay away from it. And and you just, you don't know what to look for if you've never been in franchising. And that's kind of what I help people do is identify those great franchise companies. You know, there's concepts out there that you and I and everybody on that's listening to this knows, and you might love their food, but you would not wish that business on your worst enemy as an owner. <laughs> it's just absolutely not set up right. Absolutely. And so that's what we help people kind of figure out. And that's a great thing that you do because, uh, you know, years ago, I'll date myself again, uh, there was a guy in the clothing business called Cy Sims, oh, yeah. and his his motto was, an educated consumer is our best customer. Right. And I'm on the sell side, so I'm on the franchisor side. I guess, you know, if we wanted to peel back the onion, you could say you're on the buy side where you're helping franchisees and educating franchisees on how to buy a franchise. Right. So from my point of view, I love when our sales team is sitting down with a franchise candidate that's been coached by someone like yourself and understands the process and understands how to do due diligence. And by the way, that's not to kill a deal or scare anyone off. I mean, we're all in the business. We want expansion, but we want to do it with the right people who share a like-minded culture, have a passion for the business have some experience, have the proper capital. And by the way, that works on both sides of the equation. Obviously, mm-hmm. folks that you're speaking with have to have the right capital to open a franchise business. On my side of the table, franchisors need to be properly capitalized so that they could live up to the commitments that they're making in the franchise agreement to their franchisees. Right. And you mentioned earlier that a great percentage of franchisors never get past five or six or 10 units. And yet some of them will tell you that they've sold 50 or they've sold 100, but yet they have two or three opened. (laughs) That's because they don't have the infrastructure in place to support opening those units. More importantly, as I've discovered the hard way, sometimes uh, when we work with a franchisor, our first task is to sort of untangle the mess that's been created by the franchisor because they've 
accepted the wrong people into the system. Yep. And they accept the wrong people into the system for a variety of reasons. Generally, it falls into one of two categories, or sometimes both. They either don't know who or the profile of their franchisee should be. And that's why I admire the work you do, because you help the franchisor and the franchisee make that match with the right person for the right brand. Yep. On the f- other side, the franchisors sometimes, similar to franchisees, franchisors are undercapitalized. So now they have someone in front of them who is ready to sign a franchise agreement and pay a franchise fee. And in the back of the franchisor's mind, they know this is not the best person for their business. But because they need that franchise fee to support the growth of their company, they award the franchise. Mm. And that's what we try to explain to franchisors exactly what they should not do. Every franchisee that comes on board should be your partner in the business, culturally, financially, experientially, from a passion point of view. It's not like buying a house where you sign the deal and buyer and seller never see, see each other again. When you sign a franchise agreement, that's when the deal starts, not ends. That's right. So that's that's our approach to it. And many franchisors who we turn down, we have franchisors come to us all the time who want to be our clients, but we turn them down because they don't subscribe to slow and steady wins the race. You know, right away they want to sell 50 franchises and then it's like the dog that chases the car and then the dog catches the car and now the dog says, well, what do I do with the car? So I've sold 50 franchises and now how do I support these people? Right. It's a bad place to be. A very bad place to be. But in our business, as I'm sure you point out to your clients, there are numerous franchisors that are, you know, opening bottles of champagne and touting how many units they've sold instead of touting how many units are open and successful with profitability for the franchisee who's who've invested in many cases their life savings into opening the franchise and are they multiple unit owners are they so happy and so successful that they've decided to open number 2 and number 3 of that brand that's what i look for in right. a franchisor not how many units they've sold that's always the scary part and someone who's bright enough to see that they're not into franchising they'll realize wait a second they have all these people but how are they going to support these people so there's ratios and we could get into all those kind of details about how many you know employees in a franchisor to franchisees ratio and all of that in in my opinion at the very surface at the very top you know i want to see 25 units that are open more than a year and they're successful and happy right so I would encourage people to call every single of those, you know, 25 franchisees and, you know, say, how's it going and, and really understand it. And, and I think in my opinion, it's one of the only investments that I know of where you can actually call the end user and, and find out how is it going, you know, as opposed to you could, you know, hey, you bought the stock. How's it going for you? You can't do that with anybody. Right. So this is a very unique situation in franchising for, for that reason alone not to mention a million other. So talking about franchisors, what do you see now, you know, right now, 2019, what's the greatest challenge for emerging brands right now? 
There are actually two. One you just mentioned, and that is that franchise buyers, because they're more educated and they are working with folks like yourself and they are looking for specific benchmarks and milestones. You mentioned, you know, you like to see your clients get involved with companies that have 25 units that have been open for at least a year. Well, when I launch a brand and there's four company stores and maybe they've sold their first franchise and it's been operating for six months, it's very difficult to bring someone in and explain to them the success that the franchisors had with company stores when there isn't those 25 units operating for a year, as you mentioned. So credibility mm-hmm. and proof of concept coming uh, for difficult because Again, on my side, as I educate franchisors, you're educating franchisees. I want my franchisors to understand that they're not chasing the initial upfront franchise fee, that they should be working for the royalties. Mm -hmm. So in order to do that, they need to select better people. But that pool of people is smaller because those people are looking for more credibility. So for an emerging brand, it's that balance of passion of people who understand the brand and want to get on board because they they believe in it. They want to get in on a ground floor. They're working, in many cases, directly with the franchisor. So there's a a different motivation to get on board with a franchisor that might only have three or four or five units. The second thing, and this is purely on the franchisor side, is lead generation. What most franchisors that I deal with or would-be franchisors, and and after this show, I'm going to be visiting a would-be franchisor in New York City. And one of the things that I generally start off my consultations with potential franchisors is that I'm going to tell you a lot of things that you don't want to hear and you're not going (laughs) to like. And if we can embrace those things and if we can work beyond them, then we have the beginnings of you becoming a good franchise system. And typically where that starts is understanding that in today's world, a franchisor needs to speak with approximately 120 to 150 candidates or interested people. In our business, you know, we refer to those as leads Mm -hmm. in order to award one or two franchises, generally one, one out of 100, one out of 150 is statistical. The cost for a franchisor to generate a qualified lead, you know, we're not talking about somebody that walks into the shop and goes, oh, I like this. I would like to be a franchisee. We're talking about qualified leads. The cost for that person, for the franchisor to actually get in front of can run anywhere from 80 to $125. So if I need 100, 150 leads to award one franchise, I'm probably looking at a cost per lead acquisition of somewhere between 10 and 12, sometimes even $15,000 to sell one deal. Right. Well, if my franchise fee is only 30 and I'm giving up, it's costing me 12, 13, 14 to speak to enough people to sell a deal to award a franchise, and now I've got to pay a, a franchise salesperson 30 or 40% of that $30,000 as a commission, and I've got to pay an attorney to help with the legal, with the franchise agreement, and I'm going to need to travel to that franchisee's potential site to approve it and then train him or her. 
at the mm-hmm. end of the day, there's no money in the franchise fee. Now, I happen to think that's a good thing. I happen to think that keeps franchisors honest. That means in order for the franchisor to make money, make profit, they have to now help that franchisee open and become successful so they can collect their royalty. Mm -hmm. So although from my point of view, with a long view, it's a good thing, in the immediate moment, it is a challenge for emerging brands who, who say to themselves, well, so if I want to sell five franchises, I got to spend about $60,000 in lead generation. I don't have $60,000. I only have 20. That's and right. that's where it's a problem. That's where they start to award franchises to people to collect franchise fees so that they can keep filling the hopper with more people. That is right at the beginning, you're sliding down the slippery slope, as I say. Yeah. So that's, that's to me, the two greatest challenges, credibility for an emerging brand and understanding the cost associated with actually recruiting a qualified franchisee. Very well said. And I agree with that. Once in a while, I'll get a phone call from someone who is looking to franchise their business. It's not, it's not my end of the business. It's, Somebody I would refer to you, Gary. But most of the time, so I'll say, so why do you want to franchise your business? And a lot of times they'll say, well, you know, think about it. The franchise fee is $50,000. I mean, I could sell a bunch of these things because I have a great concept. And I'm going to make $50,000 just on selling these things. And I'm like, okay, let me take it to reality. <laughs> you actually going to lose money on that 50000 not making money. <laughs> right, right. And, and if you don't support and help and live up to your contract for the people you've sold those franchises to, you're going to mm. have a mountain of legal bills. Oh, yeah. Which is a whole nother story. If you Absolutely. That's, that's a big piece of what we do. When franchisors question why, we will come down on them. I come down on my clients. This happened just yesterday. I had a client not knowingly, not with misintention, but she made an earnings claim on the telephone. And when the call was over, I called the client up. I said, you cannot say that. That is an earnings claim. Right. So that could get you in court. So a lot of what we do in our training of franchisors is in an effort to help keep them out of court. (laughs) Now, we're we're not attorneys. I mean, I'm not an attorney, but I've been doing it long enough that I know that if if the franchisor is practicing what I would call, you know, an inducement to buy, hey, come on in and buy my franchise and you'll make 80 bazillion dollars in the first year and it's simple to run and it doesn't really cost a lot of money to start up and you'll be great. You know, mm-hmm. that is, you know, that's Barnum and Bailey stuff. That's right. Okay. <laughs> that's what what I mean when I say we coach franchisors in the art and science of actually building a franchise business, a franchise yep. company, many stones supporting that building. And if you build it on sand, or as I, I think I posted last week, you know, if you don't have patience and you're not properly capitalized and you don't have the, the proper intel behind you, you're really building your business out of, uh, I guess, straw and sticks instead of bricks, if we all remember the story of the three little pigs. I, I want to build companies that are on solid foundations. No, I agree. It's just such a great, insightful thing. And I think most people listening probably don't even realize what it really takes to do this, you know, build a franchise. 
when I first heard this information, it blew my mind. And it's, you know, you, so you got to be with a great franchise company. You got to really do due diligence to figure out who they are and really what's behind the curtain for real. And, and again, between what you're doing and what I do, that's how we really help people. But I want to go back to something, Gary. You were talking about company stores. What's your take on company-owned stores that a franchise company owns? You know, this is a raging debate. Back in the day, when dinosaurs ruled the world, when <laughs> McDonald's and Burger King and KFC and all those guys were really kind of pioneering this, company stores were typically about 30 or 40% of the systems. And a lot of that had to do with real estate ownership and a different reason for company stores. Today, many different types of concepts are franchised most of which don't need, you don't need to buy property and build a building. I mean, if you open up a gym franchise or if you open up what I call a man with van type franchise or a retail franchise with a retail storefront, you're not necessarily getting into the real estate business. So there's no real reason, in my opinion, for the franchisor to be endeavoring in that. Now, do franchisors need company stores? Absolutely, positively, yes, in the beginning. And they need them for a few reasons. Number one, it may be their original one or two units. So they've proven out the concept and the business model. It'd be hard to put you in a business that I'm not in myself. So they need that. Having two or three or four proves it out, shows legs. They've practiced the art of opening a new store, probably have developed opening teams and have, you know, two or three units where they can test new products or test new marketing ideas to pass down to their franchisees, not some untested product or idea that the franchisee is now going to test, but that the right. franchisor has tested in their own units and now have they have some level of intel and data and predictability, which is, by the way, is what the franchisee is paying a royalty for that they could give it to their franchisee with a certain level of confidence and say, hey, if you do this, this should happen. Where it starts to get dicey is when franchisors continue. This is my opinion, by the way. There are probably as many people who would disagree with me as agree with me. Mm -hmm. When franchisors continue to open company stores, a few things happen in my mind, in their mindset. Number one, I'm not quite sure they're in the franchise business. If they're still in, you know, the pizza business, let's say, and a gentleman uh, many many years ago, a guy named George Nadaf, who was the founder of, of Boston Chicken, who I had the immense honor and pleasure of working with back in the ranch one days, taught me that the eagle that chases two rabbits usually loses them both. So when franchisors are focused on company units, you know, are they really focused on franchised units? Are they now competing with their franchisees for the best cities and the best territories and the best locations and kind of leaving the crumbs, so to speak, for their franchisees? So I'm not a big believer. I I think franchisors should have one focus in mind, and that is the success of their franchisees. And the only time they should have company stores is to have a small stable, if you will, of company stores to prove out the model, test products, or to open up a new territory. So if I'm operating primarily in the New York market and I want to bring my franchise to Philadelphia or Miami, 
it's not a bad idea for the franchisor to open that first company store in Miami, prove it out, kind of plant the flag, and then begin awarding franchises in that market and either use that unit in Miami in this example as a training center or turn it over to a franchisee and now move into a new unit. So there are reasons for company units, but it shouldn't be to compete with the franchisee and to continue to to be in, in the example I used, the pizza business. If you're in the yeah. franchising business, focus on it. Yeah. I think, you know, as a franchise, you know, franchisee myself, you know, what I get scared of in that particular situation when the they have, you know, 40% company stores is that, you know, in my market, when like this awesome piece of real estate opens up, they're going to take it. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> That kind of thing scares me. But yeah, we need test stores. And and I like when franchise companies do that. And what comes to mind another way, and not too many do this, but Huntington Learning Centers, who you probably know, they're based in New Jersey. Yep. Not far from where I live. Yep. A great still, you know, family owned business. And, you know, you you probably know Eileen and, and her daughter, Anne, and the people over there. But anyway, they open company stores, but only in the New Jersey, New York metro market. And so they won't sell a franchise within that territory. And that's where they do all their testing and they figure it all out. And they just won't sell a franchise in there no matter what. And and that's great. So basically, they've carved out a piece of territory for themselves, almost as if they are franchisees. And that's fine because they're not going to bring franchisees in there and then compete. Right you know, with their own franchisees. Yeah. That's a great way of doing it because they love the business. They want to expand it, but they're not going to overstep their bounds and intentionally or unintentionally cannibalize the sales of a franchisee. Mm -hmm. And again, if you're in the royalty business, which earlier I said, that's where franchisors should be. So if you're truly focused on royalties, the last thing you want to do is diminish the sales of a franchisee because when you do that, you diminish your royalties. You know, you know, sometimes one of my candidates will come to me and they'll say, you know, you, you showed me this XYZ franchise, but their competitor has a royalty that's, you know, 2% less. So I want to buy them because I have a lesser royalty. And I'm like, yeah, but they probably have lesser service <laughs> that they're going to give you. Or they're selling products to their franchisees. Yeah, or that. They're making money on the products that they sell. Right. So you really need to know kind of what you're looking at and understand why, you know, the intentions of these companies, why they price things out the way they price them out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you, you said it earlier. And, and by the way, it's, it, again, it gets back to emerging brands. It's, it's one of the reasons why our job at Franchise Growth Solutions sometimes on the selling side can be so difficult is because, as you said earlier, it's just great when a potential franchisee can pick up the phone, or better yet, go and visit the end user, the franchisee, and find out, is the franchisor helpful? Do they come visit the stores? Are they selling products that are overpriced that the franchisee is forced to buy? Yep. Do they support them? Those are really, to me, the due diligence pieces that when you get that franchise contract or that FDD, you're going to read it. And you're going to have your attorney read it. And that's all well and good. You have to do that. However, I believe, and I think you do also, the real what's a day in the life of a franchisee, that information comes from 
people who are already franchisees in that brand operating that business. That's the best source of information. Yeah, that is my mantra for sure. And, you know, I always say to folks, the culture is really what matters the most at the end of the day. How is the franchisor treating the franchisees? What's the level of communication? When you talk to those franchisees, are they store number 2349 or does the CEO actually know their name? You know, and, and so it depends on obviously, you know, the size of the franchise and all that, but you want to have that, that family feel, which is one of the Absolutely. things that I loved about the franchise that I, you know, yeah. franchises that I was involved with and kind of love that. So Gary, what's one piece of advice that you would give to someone that is thinking about franchising their business right now? I would say that you have to truly embrace the idea that the reason for franchising your business is to give people, other people, strangers, the opportunity to garner the level of success that you have garnered by starting that business. And if you focus on your franchisee's success and you make that the priority, as the goal, then the tactics, the method, the things that need to be done in order to live up to that goal become very obvious. And those are things like, do I have a proven system? Do I have the proper operations manuals? Am I properly capitalized to support the franchisees? Am I going to spend the time to educate myself on what it takes to become a good franchisor? If you're not willing to do all of those things, by the way, not some of those things, all of those things, if you're unwilling to do all of those things, then you're really not committed to the goal of helping someone else achieve the same level of success in a business that you created. It's just a farce at that point. Interesting. So it's like the old Zig Ziglar saying, if you help enough people get what they want, you get what you want. 100%. Couldn't agree more. I heard that years ago from Zig, and I love that. Mm-hmm. Zig being a motivational speaker. If you don't know him, look him up. He passed away a couple of years ago, but his son, Tom Ziegler, is actually taking over that business and doing some yep. great things with it. The only thing that I would also add, and it's something that I do and people in the industry know me for it, I didn't write the book. And I do use the book at NYU, but I didn't write it. It's a book called The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. I'm sure you've heard it. And it's really a book about taking your business and not doing the work of the business and creating a franchise prototype system. By the way, whether you franchise your business or simply want to scale it up and have multiple units, you are practicing, if you're successful at it, you would practice a franchise prototype. And, And two good examples of that. And you remember earlier in the beginning of the show, I said, there's a mystique and a misunderstanding of franchising that many people have. I can't tell you the vast majority of people that I meet think that the company Chipotle Mm -hmm. and the company Starbucks are franchise companies. They're not. They're company-owned units. That being said, they operate their businesses under a franchise prototype model. And the book, The E-Myth Revisited, I give. I mail it to people. I'm giving this. I said I'm going to meet someone today. I give people this book. I mail it out all across the country, hundreds of them every year, Mm -hmm. because I truly believe if you want to become a franchisor, you need to understand this concept. 
that Michael Gerber, and he has many verticals right now. I'm not pitching Michael Gerber. He just happens to be a mentor of mine via, you know, digital stuff and and his readings. Um, It's just an incredible book. So I recommend it to everyone, The E-Myth Revisited. Absolutely. I got to meet Michael a couple of years ago and get a picture with him. So uh, Uh, Did he have his hat? He took it off for the pictures. (gasps) Wow. Yeah. I never saw I, I never saw that. I mean, that's a that's a great thing. I mean, so you heard him speak, so you know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's he was just absolutely awesome. He's still out there speaking and mentoring and coaching. Yeah, it's great and a great, 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 great book. Yeah, absolutely. When people come to our website, we don't sell the book or and I don't sell anything on my website, but when people come to the the franchise growth solutions website and they contact me generally in the first or second conversation that I have with an individual, that book comes up. Good. And what is your website now, since you brought it up? Well, it's actually two. There's, there's franchisegrowthsolutions.com, or you can actually just punch in frangrow, F-R-A-N-G-R-O-W.com, frangrow.com, franchisegrowthsolutions.com. And I, I encourage, by the way, all of your listeners to please connect with me on LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. drop me a note, send me a message, got a quick question, need a quick telephone call. My goal at this point in my life, as I mentioned at the top of the program, is to share what I've learned in 35 years with other folks Mm -hmm. who are interested in getting into this franchising business. Love it. Thank you for that. One myth about franchising that you would like to bust right here, right now. Well, <laughs> well, Tom, I'm sure you're aware there is, there's probably a list, but I would say on the franchisee side, buying a franchise doesn't mean instant success, doesn't mean guaranteed success, doesn't mean you write a check and the franchisor does everything for you and you sit in, a, in, a, in an office with your feet up on the desk. It doesn't mean any of that. And a lot of franchise buyers think that buying a franchise is a sure thing. Mm-hmm. And the only sure thing I've learned is that there is no sure thing. You've got to work. You've got to have passion. You've got to be smart. You've got to have a little bit of luck. And most importantly, you should never, ever, ever quit. So yeah. I think on the franchisee side, that would be a myth. On the franchisor side, it's sort of the same, but a little bit different. And I think on the franchisor side, I liken it to all of us who might have children who have children, we're all convinced that our little baby is the most beautiful baby that was ever born. And if we enter our baby into the beauty contest, meaning the world of franchising, that everyone is going to pick out our baby and say, your baby is the most beautiful baby in the world. And they get sidetracked thinking that because they love their business, everyone else will. And the franchisor doesn't need to do a lot in order to recruit the right people keep their business vibrant, and help franchisees make money. So they get a little bit complacent yeah, and they don't remain humble. So those, those would be the two biggest myths on each side of the equation. Franchisees think it's a sure thing. Franchisors think it's a sure thing. <laughs> and it's never a sure thing. And I'm sure of that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Love that. Well, cool. So tell us again how people can get in touch with you www as old people say just go to franchisegrowthsolutions.com and uh, you can reach me there or just go to my linkedin page uh, just google me whatever you'll get to me i have a pretty wide mm-hmm. footprint a pretty wide digital footprint 
as I said, drop me a line either on LinkedIn or on my website. Uh, one of the things that I attempt to do as diligently as possible is get back to everyone that contacts me in some way, shape, or form, either yeah. via email, text, or phone. Great. And that's a great practice. So, Gary Okio Grosso, thank you so much. Really uh, appreciate your insights. We have probably another hour of stuff to talk about, so we'll do another show. You got it. In a couple of months for sure. Really, really appreciate it. And all of Gary's contact information will be on the website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com. So check that out or thefranchiseacademy.com. Take you to the same place. Tune in and next week for another episode. We've got some great stuff happening on the horizon, some great industry leaders in franchising. So thanks for listening. Thank you, Gary. My pleasure. Thank you. This has been another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. For more info, go to our website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to Tom Scarta's YouTube channel for educational videos on franchising, education, insight, and inspiration.